Hello and welcome once again to The Blueprints. This is Canada's Conservative Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Schmale, Member of Parliament for Halliburton, Kawartha Lakes Brock. On today's show, we have an economic outlook that isn't looking too pretty. We're going to examine Christia Freeland's comments and that much, much more. Please like, comment, share, subscribe to this program because we have new content for you every single Tuesday, 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Don't forget to tell your friends. They can download it and listen to it on platforms like CastBox, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, you name it. It is out there. So we're coming back on the show. A good friend who hasn't been on in a while, that's my fault, not his, is Marty Morantz, the Member of Parliament for Charleswood, St. James, Assiniboia, Headingley, or soon to be Winnipeg West. Thanks for coming back on the show. Also a member of the Finance Committee. Thank you, Jamie. It's a pleasure to be here. And I got your writing right. You did. There we go. Very good. Perfect. I was impressed. Little victories of the day. But Winnipeg West, it will be soon. So it will be, be soon. Easier. All right. Well, that'll shorten things up a bit. All right, fall economic statement came out a little while ago. Christia Freeland's doing her media rounds. And I think what we really need to look at when we look at this big picture and all these numbers, all these figures, all these charts that the finance minister has thrown out in front of us is cause and effect, right? We have got to the point where Canada is not looking so great balance sheet wise. We have some anchors in our economy that aren't doing so great. And all of this combined gives us the, the picture we're looking at now. So we got a few clips for you too, but I sure. just want to get your thoughts on, on kind of the, the, the vision as a whole. Where, where do you think we are now? Because you're on the finance committee, you've been looking at this for a while. Sure. Well, I, I think it's important to understand, Jamie, how, and I thank you for the question, how, how we got here, how we got into this high cost inflationary environment. You know, the government would have us believe that, well, inflation just came to our shores. It's mm -hmm. the war in Ukraine or supply chains. But we know now that's simply not true. It's very clear that uh, government, government spending uh, has fueled the inflationary fire. Uh, the bank started off uh, with a program of quantitative easing that fueled over $600 billion in government deficit financing. Uh, I, I don't need to remind you that in 2015, the entire federal debt from 1867 was just over $600 billion. Today, the entire federal debt is over $1.2 trillion. That takes a lot of uh, effort to double the national debt Absolutely in only eight years, Jamie. And so what that did is it caused hundreds of billions of dollars in inflationary spending mm -hmm. that fueled the fires of inflation. When inflation goes up, the Bank of Canada really only has one tool, and it's a very blunt instrument, Jamie. It's to raise interest rates on Canadians, and they have. They've raised them dramatically from just 0.25 of a percentage point before the pandemic to 5% today, and people are really, really struggling. So I lay the blame for inflation and high interest rates squarely at the feet of Mr. Trudeau. He is simply not worth the cost, Jamie. Well, to your first point, Parliamentary Budget Officer confirmed half of the money printed during the, the COVID pandemic had nothing to do with COVID. It was basically spent on liberal pet projects and, and slush fund funding. And, and had that been a smaller print, a smaller uh, footprint in, in the monetary policy, if you will, um, the, the inflation crisis that we've been dealing with for, for quite some time yeah. would not have been as bad. The second is the carbon tax, of course. Yeah. Through your committee work, we have found out that the carbon tax contributes greatly to inflation. And, and it's driving up the cost of everything. Yeah. Well, on those points, for example, uh, before I get to even to the carbon tax, the Bank of Nova Scotia just issued a report saying that two full percentage points, 200 basis points of interest rates in place today are because of government spending. 
In other words, if government spending had uh, been more reasonable or less inflationary in nature, mm -hmm. the bank rate would only be roughly 3%, not, not 5%. And on top of that, you correctly point out that the bank governor confirmed to us just a couple of weeks ago in committee that the carbon tax itself accounts for 0.6 of one percentage point. Uh, of inflation. So for example, with inflation today at 3.1%, if the carbon tax didn't exist, inflation would only be 2.5%. And I'm sure that would allow the bank to seriously mm -hmm. consider to stop dropping interest rates. So again, I lay the blame squarely at the feet of Mr. Trudeau, whose inflationary spending drove up and drove up inflation, which caused the bank to drive up interest rates and compounded that with the inflationary carbon tax. Well, let's get Super Producer Nick to queue up cut number two. Sure. I think we'll start Sounds there. Good. This is you in committee. So this is a very... I just very... want to say my name is not Philip Lawrence on there. Well, yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, you're better looking than Philip Lawrence. <laughs> he was just on the show a couple weeks ago. I'll have to mention that too. Uh, that is the whole problem, right? When, when the government does not have any restraints, any idea that their, their policies will cause this misery in the long term, you get to the point that we're at right now. This could be, this could have been a lot better than what it is right now. So yeah. let's, get, let's get to a clip where you kind of queue it up and we talked to sure. uh, Philip Cross, a very well-known mm. economist, yeah. columnist in the Financial Times, Financial Post, um, who basically backs up what you just said. All right, sure. play cut two. Sounds good. Inflation, we're two years into a government that uh, is willing to spend endlessly. Um, Double the national debts um, has added another $60 billion in spending over the next five years, just over and above what they announced in November. Um, and because of that, the, um, the governor of the Bank of Canada has, despite saying interest rates will stay low for a long time, people shouldn't worry about that, has now raised the, raised the bank rate to 4.5%. Just, just um, I know it seems self-evident, but I just want to get confirmation from you on the record. It, it, is there a direct correlation between um, inflation and the bank increasing interest rates? Unquestionably. I mean, even the bank would, would say, of course, that's why we're raising interest rates. So yeah. as John Manley said, the former Liberal Finance Minister, yeah. foot on the gas, foot on the yeah, brake. Absolutely. This is what we're yeah. doing. Yeah. Government can't yeah. stop spending, can't yeah. get its uh, balance sheet in check. Yeah. So Bank of Canada has to, yeah. to throw on some water, and that's causing a lot of hurt right now. Absolutely. And government spending is now working against mm -hmm. everyday, ordinary Canadians. It's causing prices to go up. It's causing interest rates to go up. Every major economist uh, who looks at this says that at this point, uh, government spending and um, fiscal policy, I should say, which is what government takes care of, and monetary policy are working at cross purposes to each other, mm -hmm. including the governor of the Bank of Canada, who said just in our meeting a couple of weeks ago that uh, government spending has been unhelpful. And so um, now when I made that recording, the bank rate, I note, was only 4.5%. It went up another half a point uh, since that time. So um, I, I asked that question because I want it's important for people watching to understand that there is a direct correlation between the decisions this government has made with respect to how it's handled spending with the public purse by driving up inflation and interest rates. And, and that was really the point of my question to, uh, to, to Mr. Cross. And, and I, I can't stress it enough. I lay the blame 
for the economic predicament that we find ourselves in solely at the feet of Mr. Trudeau. And I would add one other thing. That $600 billion I was talking about where they doubled the national debt, they call those things investments. Now, in my mm -hmm. mind, when you make an investment, you expect a return on that investment. But the reality is our economic growth has flatlined, barely 1%. And even worse, our per capita GDP output is predicted by the OECD to be the lowest in the OECD for the next 30 years. Not, not a pretty picture, or as uh, the finance minister will say in a moment, uh, not a great result on her report card. All right, let's, uh, let's queue up cut three. We'll get to the finance minister. I know we have another clip for you, but the same thing. It's cause and effect. I Absolutely. think that's what you need to remember, yeah. cause and effect. We just didn't get here by magic. It, it wasn't some you know, far away Absolutely. event happening. It was directly attributed to this prime minister, 100%. this finance minister, because there are countries that didn't fire up the printing presses like Canada did and are doing fairly well. That's right. There are others that did fire up the printing presses and borrowed and printed and taxed that are doing worse. But at the same time, we're responsible for the people within our borders and our people are hurting right now. Citizens are hurting. Yeah. So let's uh, queue up cut three. This is, uh, this is going to, oh, we're going to we'll go to cut one now. Okay. Let's, uh, Super Producer Nick has cut one. Let's go to cut one. We'll talk about that, then get to finance your ministry. Let's now, one last question in the 20 seconds I have left. Last week we had Robert Asselin here, and he said something very interesting. He said that economic growth is so weak at sub 1%, and that low growth in a high interest rate environment will make social programs unsustainable. Do, do you think he's got a good point there? Uh, well, low, lower growth and higher interest rates will certainly impact on the government's budget, I, um, you know, I, I don't think fiscal policy in Canada in, is in a situation where it's unsustainable, but I do think uh, protecting our very good fiscal position uh, is important. It's important for social programs. It's important for the prosperity. All right, that was Tiff Macklin, the governor of the Bank of Canada, um, basically saying what we have said uh, for a while now, if you also want to lower prices, you can add more supply, right? If we want to add and, and, and release the price hikes that people are facing at the grocery store, we can add more food, but also at the same time, we can't also punish our farmers with massive carbon tax, which increase the cost of production, which get passed on to the consumers. If we want to add more energy, that will lower the price. But we have stifled those industries yeah and many, many more in this, Canada, this country where we aren't able to grow those economies to add to the, uh, the, the supply chain, to add to the economy, which would give some relief. So we're being hit everywhere we look. And this is, again, as you said, directly a result of bad government policy by this prime minister. You're 100% uh, correct, uh, Jamie. And, and you saw what the bank governor was talking about there, uh, responding to my comments about Robert Asselin. For those watching, Robert Asselin is a, a senior economist with the Business Council of Canada who has come out and panned the fall economic statement 100%, basically saying that um, it does nothing to uh, help generate m new economic growth. And, and that's exactly the problem we have. The country is growing. Uh, we have um, uh, more people than we've had uh, ever before, and so demand has increased. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, economic growth is so low right. that we can't meet that demand. And so that's why you see prices going off the way they have. We have uh, um, among the most overheated housing markets in the world, by the way, uh, the most, more land than almost every other country in the world. 
uh, a population of uh, just 40 million people, and yet we have ex housing prices that are more expensive than places like in New York or Singapore. That's that's an island. So mm -hmm. clearly, uh, there's pent up demand in our economy, but limited supply. And this again, I lay the blame squarely at the feet of this prime minister, who got nothing for the 600 billion dollars he spent to double our national debt. Let's queue up cut three. This is the finance minister, Chris Freeland, who you know appearing at the the uh, weekend media tables. Now, this is this is very interesting comments that she's about to make. We have a few clips on this. She will never be affected by the misery being inflicted on regular, ordinary Canadians, these hardworking Canadians. She will never feel that, right? No. All she has to do is cancel her Netflix subscription, <laughs> apparently. No, Disney Plus Disney or whatever Plus, it was. Disney Plus. And maybe take the subway, which she doesn't do because she likes to drive fast in Alberta. <laughs> but uh, this will... I think this is one of three, but this will give you a, a good painting of, of where this government's head at. Backs up what you're saying, play cut three. So you have the capacity, let's say, to sustain the programs that, that you have right now. My question is whether you will have the capacity going forward, now having outlined these fiscal anchors. And I'm asking you because what I have noticed in public opinion polling is that a lot of Canadians are saying, what's the, this government's vision for the future? And so if you're going to present big transformational projects that do come with a, a high price tag, I am wondering if this fall economic statement actually limits you from doing so, or maybe you're not so wedded to those two promises. Actually, I really believe our fall economic statement is about ensuring that we can continue to invest in Canadians. Because what I really believe makes things like early learning and childcare possible is that they are built on a sustainable fiscal foundation. Because that means we can keep on doing it year after year after year. In four short years or less, we will be spending the exact same amount on interest on the debt. So just servicing the debt, not paying it off, as we do in transfers to the provinces for health care. Well, you're absolutely right. Uh, the, we're in a situation now where the interest on the debt is going to exceed what we spend not only on, on health care, but on, on child care, on EI, on, um, on our, our armed forces. All, all of these things could benefit, you could double healthcare spending if we did not have to spend all this interest mm -hmm. on, on our debt. And it didn't, it didn't need to be this way. You know, as you pointed out earlier, much of the spending during the pandemic had nothing to do with the pandemic. Our debt could have been lower, that would have eased pressure on the bank to keep interest rates lower. There's no, there's no free ride. You know, when the government spends all this money and says, well, we're investing in, in, in the Canadians, there, there's a bill to pay on the other end of that. And the bill that's coming home to roost is in high inflation and high interest rates. And that's the legacy of Mr. Trudeau and his finance minister. What's the old saying? When the government gives you something with an open hand, there's a clenched fist behind its back. <laughs> this is what we're getting now. Let's, uh, let's queue up cut number four, I believe we're at now. Uh, cut number four, the finance minister goes on. We're still you know, to, to Vashi's uh, credit, she is pressing the finance minister, right? Is, yes, the the yeah. finance minister is saying, we have all, you know, things are great, we're doing well, but uh, she's clearly pointing out, because she's looking at the chart, saying things aren't so well, so how are you going to fund all this stuff? All right, play cut five. And so am I to take from that that you would characterize, for example, this year's deficit at $40 billion or the next two years, which are about 10 to $12 billion higher than anticipated at budget, as modest? And can you understand how Canadians might greet that 
with some skepticism given your government's track record hasn't always been restrained. And I'll provide you with a few examples and, and offer you the opportunity to respond. $50 million on an uh, app, ArriveCan, that never worked. The federal public services employment growth rate is three times greater than the population growth rate. Uh, spending on contracting has increased by more than a third since just 2017. Yeah. Um, truly, thank you for the question. Fine time, fine time. I believe from all the conversations I have across the country that Canadians understand now is a time we need to invest. I find people are particularly focused on investments in housing. I find certainly parents and grandparents very focused on childcare. I think but people that's are different than the examples I laid out with respect. I, I, I'm going I'm to get to those, I, I promise. Um, people are really aware that we need to invest in the industrial transformation of our country. And I think people really want to know that we're doing it in a fiscally responsible way. I think that's kind of the base setting of Canadians. And I agree with that. Okay, fiscally responsible way. Not even close. Now look, Jamie, you know, when uh, this government came to power in 2015, they said they were going to run a couple of small deficits around the $10 million range and that by 2019, the budget would be balanced. That, that never happened. You know, and, and the reality is that they, they were $100 billion in deficit before the pandemic uh, ever came. And so to the finance minister to now claim that somehow they're being fiscally responsible is, well, a nice word would be disingenuous. Uh, but the reality is, you know, that, uh, that fiscal responsibility from a government perspective demands that the government adopt a serious fiscal anchor. Mm -hmm. That's what Prime Minister Harper did. His fiscal anchor was very simple. It was, we're going to get the budget balanced. And he did. This government will claim a fiscal anchor and then as soon as it doesn't work out for them, it'll, they'll just abandon it. Like it didn't matter. For example, um, uh, just uh, two years ago, the finance minister said, well, the debt to GDP ratio will be our fiscal anchor. And, you know, it, it's, it won't go up. It'll continue to go down. She said, that is a line we shall not cross. And yet it's going up again. It's gone up mm -hmm. the last two years. It's going up in the fall economic statement again. It's a line that they did cross. Um, and, and, and it seems like they were, they were fine with crossing it. So... When you look at the projections in the fall economic statement, they're completely unreliable. I'll just give you another example. One year ago today, they released, this month, I mean, they released the fall economic statement, which said that in 2028, there would be a $4.5 billion surplus. One year later, in this fall economic statement, it's a $28 billion deficit, $32 billion swing in one year. I don't know how we could ever trust what this government says. But they can't control themselves. She also pointed out that now is the time that Canadians expect us to invest. The Canadian government has never been more flush with cash right now. But at the same time, things are getting worse. Delivery of service is getting worse. The federal bureaucracy has never been as big. For the longest time, you couldn't get a passport despite all these, these investments, so-called investments. So we have actually tried that. And it's not going so well. No. Uh, th this, this government is failing over again. She also said about the industrial transformation. This isn't a market transformation she's talking about. It's a government-led transformation with winners and losers in the marketplace based on what money is given to companies that believe what the government believes. 
it's not driven by the marketplace. No. You wouldn't need these investments. It was driven by the market. No. Well, look, um, I keep getting back to, you know, she says it's time for government to invest in transformation. You're absolutely right. It is, it is government-led. And really the best thing to do, uh, you know, I'm reminded of when you were speaking of, uh, of my favorite uh, Ronald Reagan joke uh, where he would say, uh, the nine most frightening yes. words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. That's what that reminds me of. I mean, I think what government needs to do is get out of the way and let Canadian entrepreneurs do what they do best. Mm -hmm. But having said all that, six, I keep coming back to the $600 billion. What a wasted opportunity to invest in economic growth. And so we got absolutely nothing for it. And now yeah. the finance minister is, is talking about investing even, even more. I, I, I don't think that uh, she's a reliable partner, nor is this government, in promoting economic growth for Canada. And that's why we need common sense conservatives to be in government so that we can get this country's economy humming again. All right. We have one more clip of the finance minister, but we are also running way late on time. I, I, I would hate to not go without, uh, maybe what I'll do, we'll get the clip and then we'll get your closing thoughts. How's that? Sure. Sounds okay. Good. Play cut five. I get that you don't want me to grade my own homework. And I get that hearing me say government is fiscally responsible, you want some proof points. So I'll give you two quick proof points. The first one is Canada's debt and Canada's deficit right now, today, are the lowest in the G7. That is significant. Second thing, and this speaks to, I don't believe we should grade our own homework. I don't expect you to want us to grade our own homework. There is someone out there whose job it is to give us a grade, and that is quite literally the ratings agencies. And the grade that the ratings agencies are giving Canada right now, today, is the highest grade possible, a AAA credit rating. And but that just because, is because I have a good credit rating from my bank, does that mean that I should increase the size of, you know, the staff that I have at my workplace or, you know, at a, at a, at a pace faster than is needed, for example, in the public service. I mean, you've admitted to that pace perhaps being too fast in that the cuts that you're now looking to make over the next five years are all focused on that. The rating that the agencies give us is based on where we are today and it's based on what they think is sustainable going forward. Most of the time, I have no idea what she's talking about. But it's a word salad finance minister. Yeah. Um, do you want to address that in your closing sure. comments? Sure. Well, I'll, I'll just say, look, uh, Canadians know that doubling your household debt is not being fiscally responsible. That's what this government has done. They've doubled the debt of all Canadians. When she talks about the report card from the rating agencies, there's other uh, entities out there that report on her performance as well. The Business Council of Canada has panned the fall economic statement. Uh, C.D. Howe, William uh, Robs Robson has panned it. The BMO, Douglas Porter's economist, has panned it. Uh, Jack Mintz, of course, has, has written extensively about it. So, so the report card is not all that good, frankly. And um, what this government really needs to do is get their spending under control, get inflation under control so interest rates can come down. And if they can't do it, common sense conservatives under Pierre Polyev as Prime Minister of Canada will get the job done. This Prime Minister is just not worth the cost, Marty Morantz. All right, appreciate your time. Marty Morantz, Member of Parliament for Charles Lloyd, St. James, Assiniboia, Headingley. We thank him for his time. We thank you for yours. Please remember new content for you every single Tuesday, 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time. We ask that you like, comment, subscribe, and share, share, share this program. 
this is content you're probably not getting in the mainstream media. And if you want Pierre Polyev to be the next prime minister, this message needs to get out. Also, you can tell your friends. They can download it on platforms like CastBox, iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Until next week, remember, low taxes, less government, more freedom. That's the blueprint. <laughs>